0: Hello everyone, it's December 20th and we have an extensive tour taking in the book of Haggai, the book of Revelation chapter 11, as well as Psalm 139 and a proverb that reminds us to be ready for the challenges of living in a fallen world. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide and I'm your host David McAdam. There is much to observe in today's readings, so let's get started with the Old Testament book first, the book of Haggai chapter 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. AND HE WHO EARNS WAGES DOES SO TO PUT THEM INTO A BAG WITH HOLES. THUS SAYS THE LORD OF HOSTS, CONSIDER YOUR WAYS, GO UP TO THE HILLS AND BRING WOOD AND BUILD THE HOUSE, THAT I MAY TAKE PLEASURE IN IT, AND THAT I MAY BE GLORIFIED, SAYS THE LORD. YOU LOOK FOR MUCH, AND BEHOLD, IT CAME TO LITTLE, AND WHEN YOU BROUGHT IT HOME, I BLEW IT AWAY. WHY? declares THE LORD OF HOSTS, BECAUSE OF MY HOUSE THAT LIES IN RUINS while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The people obey the Lord. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest and the priest of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of Hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, on the second year of Darius the king. Chapter 2 The Coming Glory of the Temple In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, And to joshua the son of jehozadak the high priest and to all the remnant of the people and say who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing in your eyes yet now be strong o zerubbabel declares the lord be strong o joshua son of jehozadak the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the lord work for i am with you declares the lord of hosts THE SILVER IS MINE, AND THE GOLD IS MINE, DECLARES THE LORD OF HOSTS. THE LATTER GLORY OF THIS HOUSE SHALL BE GREATER THAN THE FORMER, SAYS THE LORD OF HOSTS. AND IN THIS PLACE I WILL GIVE PEACE, DECLARES THE LORD OF HOSTS. BLESSINGS FOR A DEFILED PEOPLE ON THE TWENTY-FOURTH DAY OF THE NINTH MONTH, IN THE SECOND YEAR OF DARIUS, THE WORD OF THE LORD CAME BY Haggai THE PROPHET. THUS SAYS THE LORD OF HOSTS, ASK THE PRIESTS ABOUT THE LAW. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with the fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, and with mildew, and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig-tree, the pomegranate, and the olive-tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will bless you. Zerubbabel chosen as a signet. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother." On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament from the book of Haggai. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and Obadiah prophesied after King Cyrus of Persia granted those held captive in Babylon permission to return to Jerusalem. Haggai and Zechariah exhorted the people and the leaders Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the priest, to complete the work of rebuilding the temple. Haggai is dated in relationship to a Gentile dynasty. There would be no more kings in Judah until Messiah would be born king, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 1 we read, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. We learn from the book of Ezra that work on rebuilding the temple began two years after the first remnant returned from Babylon. The foundations were laid in 536 B.C., Opposition from the enemies of the Jews caused the work to come to a halt soon afterwards. Ezra chapter 4, verses 1-6 through 6. The temple lay unfinished for approximately 15 years, from 536 B.C. to 520 B.C. Then the work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. Ezra chapter 4, verse 24 It is at this time that Haggai delivers the first of his four messages that will be delivered in these two short chapters. The returned exiles, discouraged by the setback to the temple's reconstruction, gave their attention instead to rebuilding their homes. The governor, Zerubbabel, and priest Joshua would need the encouragement from the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to launch the temple reconstruction once again. The word of the Lord would convict the people of the spiritual malaise that had set in due to their materialistic preoccupations. The people claimed to be waiting for the right time, yet convincing themselves that the right time had not yet arrived. However, they did not have that attitude towards building their own houses. Sometimes our claim to be waiting on the Lord for the right time is an excuse for our spiritual laziness. Beginning with chapter 1, verse 2, Haggai gives the first of his four messages, Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 through 11, exhorting the people to consider their ways. As people who had made a covenant with God, they have neglected their calling and were suffering for it. Haggai explains why. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Haggai chapter 1, verses 9-11 through 11. Haggai assures them that the Lord would be with them as they took on this project. The Lord says, I am with you, Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. This reminds us of the words of the risen Lord Jesus, who says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, as he gives them the great commission to make disciples of all nations, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The good news is that this message spurred Zerubbabel and the people to take action, get back to work, build the temple in reverence for God, in chapter 1, verse 12. There are three messages in chapter 2. Each of them is called for, due to the moods of the people which threatened to prevent them from finishing the work that God had called them to do. After seven weeks of construction, the people took a necessary break to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It must have been discouraging, in the context of coming to the temple for the holiday festivities, to see the building in an unfinished state. It was especially difficult for those who remembered the former glory of the temple of Solomon before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The prophet has an important prophecy to make that should encourage them all. They should not belittle their efforts. God had a plan for this temple that would be greater than that of the temple of Solomon. For Christ Jesus, the desire of the nations, would be the glory who would appear on the floor of this temple. It would be enlarged by King Herod's later construction, but the glory of this temple would be God incarnate, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The symbol of silver adornment would be matched by that which silver represents, redemption. The symbol of gold would be matched by what it truly represents, the perfection of deity. God would come to this place in the glorious person of His Son and accomplish His perfect redemptive work. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, implying the silver is of me, and the gold is of me. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Lord Jesus would make peace by offering Himself as the perfect sacrifice to atone for sin. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John chapter 14 verse 27. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, he is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. And now, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 The Lord promises to shake the heavens and the earth when Christ returns at the end of the age. Haggai chapter 2 verse 7 I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth, translated desire in the King James version, treasures in the English Standard version of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This verse is quoted in the book of Hebrews, and his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27. Those who trust in the greater temple of the Lord Jesus are part of an unshakable kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28. The third prophetic message is given on the ninth month of that same year. The topic is sin. It contaminates. God could not bless them the way He wanted to because they were defiled. Uncleanness caused separation from God. If a Jew became defiled by touching a corpse or open sore, he was to be reckoned unclean, separated from the camp and needed to be cleansed by bathing and offering a proper sacrifice to restore fellowship. Haggai was implying, through a series of rhetorical questions, that they could not impart holiness to the temple, but they could defile it by their sins. Because their earlier behavior had violated the terms of the covenant they had made with God, they were experiencing the consequences through a suffering economy. If they repent and mend their ways, they will be blessed, in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10-19. through 19. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs chapter fourteen verse thirty-four. The fourth and final message in the book of Haggai is a special word of encouragement to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was of the royal line of David. He was the grandson of King Jeconiah, otherwise known as Coniah, an ancestor of Jesus of Nazareth. In Matthew chapter one verse twelve, in Jeremiah chapter twenty-two verse twenty-four and twenty-eight. Instead of wearing the crown as king, he was the humble governor of a struggling remnant. God would bring judgment to the nations that wear this world's crowns, but God would make Zerubbabel a signet ring. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai chapter 2 verse 23. Our next stop in our Bible reading tour is our New Testament passage from the book of Revelation, and we will read chapter 11 in its entirety. The Two Witnesses Revelation chapter 11 Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand and two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth, and if any anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If any anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them, and conquer them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt." where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hail. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion, the 11th chapter of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Bible scholars are challenged by Revelation chapters 6 through 19. There are four major interpretations. Number one, the Preterist believes that these events have been accomplished in the past. The Latin word praetor means past. All being fulfilled by 70 A.D. when Titus of Rome destroyed Jerusalem. Number two, there are those who hold to the historic view, believing that these events take place throughout the church age. Number three, there are those who hold an idealist view, that see the book as a highly symbolic piece of apocalyptic literature, and therefore it is to be interpreted in a highly subjective manner. Number four, there is a futurist view which treats the text in a more literal manner, and believe that these events take place in the future. They see the events in chapter 11 taking place in the period known as the Great Tribulation. There is also an eclectic view, that believes that something is to be gleaned through a combination of the interpretive grids listed above. The problem with the Preterist view is that much of what is written in chapters 6-19 through has no correspondence with the events that occurred prior to 70 AD. Also, if we are to take the current consensus of scholars that the book of Revelation was written at the end of the first century, all the events would have been in the past and have no relevance to the reader. It also does not square away with what the Lord told John about writing about the things which will take place after these things, in the future, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. The problem with the historic view is similar. There is no correspondence between what has taken place in history to date to that which is written in these chapters. The problem with the idealist view is that it is entirely up to the subjectivity of the reader and it can mean whatever the reader wants it to mean. This weakens its warnings. There is much to commend about the futurist view, but it also causes us to humbly admit that we cannot be dogmatic about how the events described will play out in the future. In this chapter we see the temple in Jerusalem. The historic partial preterists and idealists see the temple as the church. However, there are problems with this view. Jews and Gentiles are united in the church in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. They are separated here. It makes sense to interpret the temple as a literal temple that will be built in the future. The apostle John is given a measuring rod and like the man whom the prophet Ezekiel saw in his vision, Ezekiel chapter 40, he is to measure the temple of God, the altar, and the people who worship in it. He is measuring out the bounds that will make the temple, altar, and people to be protected by God. The Lord claims ownership of these. He is not to measure the courts outside the temple because they have been given over to the nations. The Old Testament God sometimes measured and marked out places for destruction. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 42, and second kings chapter twenty one verses thirteen through fifteen, the Lord knows just where to draw the line. Sometimes we see that God measures what He is laying claim to as owner in Zechariah chapter two, verses one through five in Revelation chapter eleven, God is having the temple, the altar, and the people who worship Him measured for preservation. Those who meet him at the altar of the cross are His true worshippers, and His favor rests upon them in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The city of Jerusalem, however, will be tread under foot for forty-two months. Forty-two months, or 1,260 days, equal three and a half years. Divine authority will be granted to two witnesses who will prophesy during this time. They are called the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. This recalls the vision of the lampstands and olive trees that Zechariah saw in his vision in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1-7. through They have power to defend themselves, symbolized by the fire that comes out of their mouths to decimate anyone who wants to harm them. Some believe these two witnesses are the return of Moses and Elijah, representing the Law and the Prophets, as they will display the power that accompanied their earlier ministries, Moses turning water to blood striking the earth with every plague, and Elijah shutting up the rain clouds and causing drought. The beast, that is the Antichrist that came out of the abyss, will make war on these two witnesses and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street in that great city where the Lord was crucified, Jerusalem. Only now it is mystically called Sodom, speaking of carnality, and Egypt, speaking of worldliness. Those whose affections are set on things below that is, those who dwell on the earth, from all nations, will look upon the dead bodies for three and a half days, and not permit their bodies to be laid in a tomb. The people of the lie will rejoice at the death of these two witnesses, and give gifts to one another as if it were a holiday, in chapter 11 verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God comes into them, and they are raised from the dead. As they stand on their feet, great fear comes upon all who are watching them. They hear a loud voice from heaven calling them to come up here, and they ascend to heaven in a cloud with their enemies watching. After the ascension of the two witnesses, there is a great earthquake that destroys a tenth of the city and kills seven thousand people. These events put the fear of God in the hearts of the survivors, and they give glory to God in chapter 11 verse 13. The third woe is the sounding of the seventh trumpet that unleashes the seven bowls. Heaven is anticipating the arrival of history's climax. The loud voices of the heavenly beings and twenty-four elders give glory to God and worship, falling on their faces in adoration. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth, Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. The chapter closes with a vision of the temple in heaven opened and the ark of God's covenant appearing. There is no mention of blood on the mercy seat, and so the perfection of God's testimony of holy justice will be put on display with the fury of lightning flashes, thunder peals, earthquake, and a great hailstorm. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms. Psalm 139, verses 1-24 O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay Your hand upon me, YOUR EYES SAW MY UNFORMED SUBSTANCE, IN YOUR BOOK WERE WRITTEN EVERY ONE OF THEM, THE DAYS THAT WERE FORMED FOR ME, WHEN AS YET THERE WAS NONE OF THEM. HOW PRECIOUS TO ME ARE YOUR THOUGHTS, O GOD! HOW VAST IS THE SUM OF THEM! IF I WOULD COUNT THEM, THEY ARE MORE THAN THE SAND. I AWAKE, AND I AM STILL WITH YOU. O, THAT YOU WOULD SLAY THE WICKED, O GOD! O MEN OF BLOOD, DEPART FROM ME! THEY SPEAK AGAINST YOU WITH MALICIOUS INTENT. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is the end of Psalm 139. This is a good prayer to pray aloud to the Lord it is up close and personal. This is a psalm testifying to God's omniscience and inescapable presence. He knows our every thought, motive, and action. He understands our thoughts when we don't understand them ourselves. He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. He knows the words we will say before we say them. With such a complete knowledge of who we are, it is a miracle of grace that when He puts His hand upon us, it is not to crush us, to lead us and rescue us in verse 10. He deals with us as a father who cherishes and chastens his beloved children. The psalmist confesses that the Lord has him completely covered in verse 5 and verses 7 through 9. He can meet us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We may be overwhelmed with situations of darkness. We can put our trust in him. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day darkness and light are alike to you. Psalm 139, verse 12. He understands our physical struggles. He has known us from our first formation in the mother's womb. In Psalm 139, verse 13. Do you give thanks to God for your physical frailties? I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Psalm 139, verse 14. The Lord knows us. How well do we know the Lord? The psalmist counts as precious the thoughts God has given us in His Word. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. The psalmist recognizes that he is in a spiritual battle and asks God to deal with his enemies. Those who hate him hate God. In Psalm 139, verses 19 to 22. This is what Jesus taught. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. John chapter 15, verse 18. Those who love the Lord cannot be friends with the world. The psalmist knows the dangers of introspection and self-analysis. Therefore, we need to ask the Lord, who is omniscient, omnipresent, and all-wise, to bring conviction and conversion to every part of our being. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. And now for our final stop in our Bible reading tour, we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Shale, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. The leech is a symbol of insatiable greed because it sucks blood through its two suckers, here named give and give. There are some realities in this Genesis 3 world that can interrupt the enjoyment of life, the barren womb, physical death, the deprivation of food and water due to a parched earth, and disastrous destruction such as that caused by fire that craves the combustible material of one's livelihood. Now let's pray in the light of what we have just read. Lord, you are faithful and have called us into fellowship with your Son, whom you have made to be for us our perfect solution, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Our confidence is that he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So sanctify us wholly, O God. Search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us. Give us the grace to turn from every sin, to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. Cause us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Give us boldness to be faithful witnesses to your wonder-working grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us. We've covered a lot of territory today, so if you have any questions or comments, you can write us at podcasts at newlife.org. And if you would like to receive a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom.